Welcome to Amplify. You're listening to Natasha Paulberg's Atomic Hope. This is the second in a series of podcasts recorded during last weekend's New Music Dublin Festival. In this episode, which was recorded on the Saturday of the festival, we speak to some of the composers and musicians who featured in concerts that day. You'll hear from composers Anselm MacDonald and Deirdre McKay, New Music Festival director John Harris, RTE Concert Orchestra and Earlsford Brass Quintet horn player Cormac O'Haydon, and RTE Concert Orchestra General Manager Joe Chibi. But we start with composer Natasha Paulberg, whose piece Atomic Hope was recorded remotely by the RTE Concert Orchestra members and featured an interpretive illustration by visual artist James Keane. The conversation begins with Natasha explaining the process behind putting the piece together from the individual recordings made by the orchestra members and how the illustrations were added to the final work. I think it was like 40 players per movement. So it's like 40 tracks per movement. So there's a real trickery in mixing in order to place it within an orchestral space because it sounded a bit kind of flat, you would say. The players all had the same microphone and they sent the files into Dropbox and I downloaded them. So I had to go through and just line everything to make sure everything was to click. Um, exactly. So there's a bit of kind of time warping a little bit, a little bit of pitch work, not too much. Uh, I don't want, I didn't want to make it too clean. If you know what I mean, you want that humanity in there as well. It was a bit of a tight timeline. So we did the mix literally two, three days. <laughs> we finished it about three days ago. So it was very tight. So James actually listened to the MIDI mock-up and he spent a week listening to it and just thinking about the music. He did a draft first, a visual draft, and sent it to me on the weekend before the final mix. He went into a warehouse space with Alex Quinn, who's a cinematographer, and he basically then did all the different angles. I got the visuals with the MIDI, and then I swapped the audio files. So, I, mean, I have to say, actually, Natasha, you're being very modest because you were commissioned to do this, I think, four weeks ago? It was, I had two weeks to write it, yeah. It's a stunning timeline to pull something like that together to make it sound so great. And I mean, actually, I, the other thing I think is amazing is that the remote recording doesn't sound like a remote recording. Really, really impressive. I was delighted when I heard the recordings. Yeah, they did an incredible job. They really did. You have a, a background of working or you're working in, in film a, a, a lot. Would it be true to say that you're kind of used to working in that way? Yes, exactly. And I think that being concert music, there's a lot more complexity that's required because the music is the forefront rather than in film the music is a supportive element to the visuals where this is the other way around really i did about over just over a minute a minute a day is my capacity i can do about a minute a day fully orchestrated and that is kind of average in film it's in 30 seconds to a minute so definitely having the experience of working in film was paramount to get this done i do have two copyists that i use to extract parts, because that's really time consuming and you know, checking transposition and things like that. So I'm very lucky to have them.
I'm just curious in terms of your film work and you're working with, you know, you're used to working with visuals. How does that kind of influence your kind of approach to composing? I mean, for example, when, when you write, are you thinking visually or does it somehow come into the structure of your pieces? Mm, it's a great question. I like to have a concept or a story. That story helps me actually structure the piece. And that my story was the atom and all the particles and the four movements came from that. So that comes from film, definitely. Like film music is structured through the visuals, your tempo, your feel. So that really definitely influenced this piece for me because it was telling that story. Welcome to Joe and Cormac, who've just joined us here. Cormac, were you on this recording? I hope so. <laughs> I definitely recorded and I definitely submitted it. So you'll have to ask the engineer who put it together. But uh, congratulations, Natasha. That was uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed. Not only did I enjoy uh, listening to your piece, but I enjoyed recording it. And the reason I say that is that it was an achievable recording project that we could actually do at home. The good thing is I have had experience of doing remote recording sessions in film as well. And that's the whole idea of creating something that was playable. And also the MIDI mock-up, I was, I was trying to make the mock-up as good as I could for you to be able to hear and maybe connect with the music. Because it's hard to kind of correct, connect with something that doesn't sound good if, it, if the samples aren't good. Joe, can, can I ask you from your vantage point from the RT Concert Orchestra's position of, of having to mobilise 40, 40 musicians to record their own parts and a lot of the considerations, you know, the practical considerations involved in that, the technical considerations. I mean, have they had much experience of, of kind of home recording during this last unforgettable year that we've all been through? First off, the, the concert orchestra, I think the musicians in the concert orchestra are super proactive, you know, so um, they get all sorts of different types of genre gigs. They get all sorts of different venues they have to turn up on and they have to do lots of different things. So as a result, they're kind of, they're kind of game for quite a lot of stuff. And I, I think probably the concert orchestra is probably the most remote recording orchestra on the face of the planet now at this stage we, we've done like so many projects just with remote recording we're getting really um fast at it we're very lucky it was it was a couple of our guys Declan and David uh, Agnew said maybe we should invest that money in those microphones and we did and uh so I think it makes it a wee bit easier for the guys but I mean it's funny Natasha you know our piece is about atoms neutrons and the science of all that but when you look at the way this is put together you know it, like the atoms are all in their little homes putting all this stuff together and then it was kind of kind of really beautiful you know the, the way when you think of that scenario i mean the, these these the, like musicians are ensemble playing musicians are generally you know they, they need to be in, a, 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 in ensemble to bounce off each other it's not the new way of doing things but it is a way of doing things so and the guys are just brilliant so we're very lucky yeah, congratulations, Joe and Cormac and Natasha. It was a really a wonderful evening to to hear the work and to to see the response to the work, the visual response to the work. And um, interesting to hear all the technical stories there about it coming together. Anselm, can I come to you? You're uh, in the lucky position of having two works in New Music Dublin 2021. I'd like to just focus a little bit on, first of all, on the work that you wrote for Crash Ensemble, Cross Purposes. Obviously, there's a there's a background to this work in terms of it is a response to uh, the current COVID crisis. 
Yeah, so the project Crash Ran was called Reactions, and they gave us a fairly wide brief with how we could respond to the pandemic. They said you can respond to any aspect you want, but one of the things they suggested was the political aspect of it. I'm not someone who listens to the news a huge amount, but over the past year, I've been paying a lot closer attention. So I've been I've been more aware of what was going on. So that was where the piece started. I wrote the piece between June and August, or maybe September 2020. There's various politicians quoted during the piece. They're all in chronological order, from Leo Varadkar's first speech when we're about to go into lockdown, uh, right up until I think Trump's interview was the week as I was finishing the piece. And so that, you know, it all kind of tied together quite nicely. You know, the title Cross Purposes, is is it the kind of obvious thing or, uh, you know, when, when I was obviously when I was listening to the work and then looking at the title, is it that, you know, the, the Northern and UK politicians were cross purposes to the politicians in the Republic or, you know, was that what you were sort of trying um, to, to get across? I was reflecting on the idea of leadership and how actually there were very strong messages coming out and very good examples being held up to us of, okay, you know, we, we all stay at home and we don't go out and we do this. And people were demonstrating that and people were giving up things and doing that. But then as time went on, you know, various controversial situations arose. And my piece isn't meant to be a statement on kind of the rights or wrong of those, but that got to the point where I think a lot of society felt that the messages that these politicians were bringing across were actually across purposes with some of their actions. Um, and the way that they were observing what they were asking the rest of us to observe at the same time. This is the calm before the storm. Before the surge. Stay calm, stay calm. Deep home, deep, 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 deep home. Stay calm, stay Science, data, public health. Pub, 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 public health. Pub, pub, public health. Deep, deep. Data, stay calm, stay home. I wasn't able to be in person for any sessions because um, every time we were ready to kind of go down and get together, uh, they seemed to close the border and I wasn't allowed to get down to Dublin. So all of the sessions were done via Zoom. It was lovely to have some interaction. At the same time, you get a real surprise when you actually hear it at the end because you've been hearing it through you know, someone's phone or across Zoom. And so you're kind of, okay, I think, I think this sounds like what I was going for. So it's a lovely surprise when you get the finished product at the end. Yes, that was what I wanted. Just, you know, one final thing on the speech samples. They do make us think of Steve Reich and different trains and works like that. And did you sort of pull apart the, st- the speech samples in terms of, you know, uh, any of the kind of spectrum of the speech samples into your instrumental writing? Um, not in this piece, although um, two weeks ago I had a piece premiered by the London Symphony Orchestra, which was derived from actually a spectral analysis of Arlene Foster and Ian Paisley's voices. So I, I have done that, but in this situation, it was actually primarily the rhythmic uh, material that I was using. Um, so I didn't analyze the pitch content of 
their voices, but just use them kind of as rhythmic moments to bounce the instruments off. And your your other work that we heard today, RASP, which was for um, Brass Ensemble and Cormac, um, maybe you'll come in on, on this work as well. And uh, quite a contrast, I would say, e- even though we can still we can still hear that it's Anselm MacDonald and your, and your style, but well, a bit written, of a contrast. Written, written much quicker, let me say, Yvonne. <laughs> but this is, this is part of a, of a bigger project that's going to run throughout the next 12 months, right? I don't know too much about how it's, how it's going to develop. Um, I'm going to hear more, I think, from David Collins of the Royal Irish Academy over the next few weeks. Um, but all of the pieces that were played in that concert will be turned into full brass band works for youth bass, brass bands around the island of Ireland, um, which is fantastic. And my, my youngest brother is a euphonium turned tuba player. So he was delighted uh, when he heard that I was going to be doing that. And I'll be certainly using his expertise. <laughs> And Cormac, that was, you know, quite a quite a challenge for you to quite a number of works to um, play today in that earlier concert. Well, six premieres, yes, for Brass Quintet and approximately three minutes each. The pieces were chosen only a few days ago, so we got the music. I think they were chosen on Tuesday night late. I think we got the music on Wednesday. We rehearsed on Thursday and a little rehearsal this morning and uh, straight into it. But good choice, John, of the pieces. I thought that they really that they really had uh, a sound of a brass band. Um, as I was playing them, I thought, OK, they're going to really enjoy these pieces. Uh, there was also the added benefit as they were aimed at youth brass band that they weren't unbelievably difficult. So which meant that we could actually put them together at a short amount of time, because I have had really bad experiences playing uh, new music with with brass quintets. Did you give strict instructions then, Cormac? Because, you know, they're very particular instruments and it's a very particular sound that you're going to get from from the brass ensemble. And if you're not a brass player or you don't have a brother that's a brass player like Anselm does, that you can get the insider knowledge. Did you did you give a kind of a, you know, a a Zoom workshop with the um, composers or? wasn't involved in any of that but it turns out a lot of the composers John was there uh, a lot of the composers had a little bit of brass background it's a really interesting project I sorry let me interrupt Cormac so the idea the impetus comes from David Collins and also from John Wallace over in Scotland well actually here in Scotland because here I am in Edinburgh but basically they're just deeply passionate about getting people to write for brass and I'm very keen on composers writing things for groupings that are not within their comfort zone so John Wallace and David Collins organised two workshops, one, out, one live stream from the Academy about a month ago, actually, then another one a week later from St Andrews in, in Scotland. And the first one was kind of basic writing for brass band, you know, sort of like how brass quintet works and, and this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, don't do this voice this way, all that kind of stuff. And then John Wallace did a slightly more extended technique one in, in, in um, St Andrews. The aim is really to take these brass quintet pieces, which is for orchestral brass, and then to now have the experience of working with um, Andy, who's the tuba, who, who plays tuba with BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and also runs a publishing company and is also a great brass tutor, to now translate this into brass bandness. So, you know, E flat euphoniums, uh, tenor horns, all those things that, you know, actually only exist in brass band world um, and make brass pieces. But also writing for youth brass band, which is a very particular skill to make attractive works that sound fresh and contemporary and that the kids want to play. Ultimately, they were really good, fun pieces. And I think that that was a, a huge triumph there. They were great pieces to play, interesting, something that we could get our teeth into. So that, well done.
I wanted to come to yourself, Deirdre, and like Ansem, you also had two pieces uh, performed during this year's New Music Dublin. I wanted to ask you about the piece that was done today as part of the Gaia project, Postcards from a Fragile Planet. Tell me about the background of this piece and why you wrote it. The initial idea for the uh, piece was from Ruth and Laura. They really gently invited me to sort of respond to it. And actually, I know this sounds like a really tiny detail, but it's not. It was huge because I felt suddenly very, very free because they were so gentle in the way that they kind of invited me into it. It's funny because I think in being given freedom, you immediately know what you want to do very quickly. There was themes that I really, really, really care about, I've cared about for a long time. So it was actually just a case of which themes am I going to kind of work with? And um, they became postcards in the end because they have lots of reasons and I'll not go into all the details, but um, the first little postcard uh, was about carbon, atmospheric carbon. And in the, I kind of just wanted to set lots of science fact, like where we are now, because it's quite scary, you know, and um, if you read the kind of data of like, you know, over 532 billion tonnes of ice melted the year before last in, you know, just in the Greenland alone, it's just all the kind of stuff if you actually go into it. It's really, really scary. And I was in the middle of setting this. And I think once you get into setting something, you become super sensitive about everything around it. And then I maybe unfortunately, I don't know, I, I happened to see footage of um, the 45th president uh, making an address to a student rally um, and it, this was this was just after this was the year before last um, so it was just after he had initiated kind of formal withdrawal of his country from the international paris accord which was huge like was beyond even i hadn't even really processed that you know you think of all the tiny countries without power who had committed to restraining carbon emissions so I was I suppose in the process of processing that when he made this speech which you know it, it kind of it, it it I almost collapsed when I heard it I couldn't really believe that it was real it was in real time it was <laughs> it was happening and and I yeah I sort of thought okay fair enough you know you sort of think you get shock proof but you don't really <laughs> and um then I tried to I tried to go back to the piece it blew everything I had been doing like into smithereens and I kind of just kept I struggled actually Jonathan I just really struggled to concentrate and thought okay this is now getting really hard because it went on for days where I, I couldn't stop thinking about what he had said and I think part it was two things in tangent I think I also knew that ignoring it felt irresponsible as well so there was lots of things were happening all at once and I just kind of thought we have this kind of sieve system of having to sieve out the stuff we don't really want to have to acknowledge is true and real but the truth is he was in the most elevated position of power arguably on the planet and our planet is heading in a really kind of at a critical pace in one direction and you know ignoring it felt very uncomfortable you know dealing with it felt very uncomfortable um because i think i just you know dealing with something politically was a little bit challenging for me I know it's very expensive. They're made in China and Germany, mostly. Very few made here. Almost none. 
But they're manufactured. Tremendous, if you're into this. Tremendous fumes, gases are spewing into the atmosphere. Is that the first time that you've addressed the subject in your music like a a political or societal subject in in your music sort of has been a bit of a breakthrough i suppose in some ways it's i find it very painful jonathan i think you know i'm from the north of ireland it's i think sort of dealing with something political makes me want to shut down i don't have a relationship with politics which has been joyful you know i know when i was a teenager you know playing corelli for six hours on a saturday was an escape from the reality so it's yeah um i think that is a little bit tricky um so i think yeah it was difficult for me jonathan it was but every time i tried to ditch it it got worse <laughs> it was really difficult and irresponsible in a way to pretend that it hadn't happened and even though this is an internal dialogue in your head um, but that's kind of where you write from in the end, I couldn't, I couldn't get it to leave my brain and I set it for practical reasons. I thought, if I set it, I will be free of it <laughs> and I can move on and return to where I was. But that didn't happen. It sounds like a very difficult piece that you had to write. You know, have you experienced that in, in any of your other works where they've been challenging to write, you know, both physically, emotionally, whatever? To be honest, honest I think the sort of last sort of five years of of politics have been unavoidable, even for someone like me who works really hard <laughs> to live in my little, it's not a bubble, but there's things I feel very, very passionate about. And, you know, I, the way I've always looked at this, if I have 12 lifetimes, one of them I will commit to politics, at least one. You know, what's happening with things in terms of our planet's well-being is bigger than politics also. So that's kind of, I think, why I did ditch it actually in fairness but I had to pull it out from the waist bin I realized I was just shying away from something that I thought was really important and also the girls had really worked on it <laughs> I didn't want to when I saw them performing it in Dublin it's that ultimate thing where you realize okay now the piece has left me it's now it's other humans are having to present it to the world it's not me standing in front of an audience by myself performing it there's two other people are doing that so it's where we are Jonathan I think there's sort of you know even for people like me who kind of I want to pour my my heart into things that I I really believe in and there's so much in politics that can be very disheartening this issue just is is, is actually also bigger than politics Was up. 